This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 37, entitled, Matthew's Theology and Purpose in Calling Jesus Emmanuel. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I am your host. The Gospel of Matthew regularly utilizes a fulfillment formula in order to express his understanding about Jesus and his ministry. This formula is often written by highlighting an event or saying, and then stating from the perspective of the narrator that this occurred in order to fulfill what was stated within the Hebrew Bible. The very first time this occurs in Matthew's Gospel is in the first chapter when the birth of Jesus is narrated. Matthew notes how the birth of Jesus, who was to save the people from their sins, was in fulfillment of what God said through the prophet Isaiah, where a child will be born to a young woman, and that child will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. What exactly does Matthew intend for his readers to understand with this reference to Jesus being God with us? Does this mean that Jesus was to be explicitly equated with the Lord God? Or is Matthew's argument more nuanced and developed? What other data within the Gospel of Matthew helps shed light on the meaning of this Emmanuel designation? What purposes might this serve in light of Matthew's literary strategy and the social context of the composition of his Gospel? This episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast seeks to examine the theology and purpose of Jesus being called Emmanuel within the Gospel of Matthew. So let's begin. Let's look at our first point. We're going to look at the Emmanuel passage itself. This is in Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 20 through 23. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. But when he, Joseph, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Now we look back at this passage that is being cited here in Matthew 1.23. This is a passage from Isaiah, the prophet from the 8th century BCE. And what we see in this passage in Isaiah chapter 7 is a passage to where King Razan of the Arameans and King Pekah, they went up to wage war with Jerusalem. And Isaiah has to give a message of comfort to King Ahaz, who is at that time the king in Jerusalem, giving him a message of comfort that although these kings are coming to wage war with Jerusalem, God has not abandoned Jerusalem, God has not abandoned the Jerusalem temple, nor his people, and that this sign would take place in order to give comfort to the people. 
So let's look at the passage in its context back in Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 11. Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time. He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. That's Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. There we can see the interchange between the prophet Isaiah and King Ahaz. The prophet Isaiah gives comfort to King Ahaz and to the people, saying that God's going to give a sign. There's going to be a young woman. She's going to bear a child. This child will be given the designation Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This human child is going to eat curds and honey. And before he is old enough to know the difference between evil and good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. The point here is that there was a prophecy given in the 8th century that a child would be born. And before this child was old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, these two kings would be forsaken and thereby Ahaz would not have to worry about these two kings. The point there is that Ahaz had figured that because Jerusalem, where the Jerusalem temple was housed, where God's presence actually lived and was thought to reside, they thought that since these two armies were coming and attacking Jerusalem, that God had abandoned their people, but God had to give a sign and to say, look, God has not abandoned his people. God is still there in their midst, and God is going to demonstrate this with a sign that a child was going to be born to a young woman and that this child would function as the sign, the prophetic sign, that God is still indeed among his people. God has not abandoned his people. Now, this child was actually born in the 8th century. Okay, This child was a, a human being. He was not considered to be the incarnation of God in any sense. No, it was just a prophetic sign. A prophetic sign that when this child was to be born, before the child would grow up and know the difference between good and evil, God would demonstrate that he is still among Jerusalem and with his people, and that God would protect Jerusalem from all of these attacks. So, it was a sign. It was not an act of incarnation. God did not become a human being. And so the child being called here, Emmanuel, God with us, was more of a prophetic sign. It wasn't an actual name for the child. The child was not actually God becoming a human being and thereby God literally and actually dwelling in the midst of Jerusalem. Now God was already dwelling in the midst of the Jerusalem temple inside the Holy of Holies. But this was an extension of God's presence. God resided in heaven and God was ruling in heaven. But God extended his presence to Jerusalem in the Jerusalem temple within the Holy of Holies. And this is an important point to keep in mind for our study today. In Matthew, however, the prophetic word of Isaiah is reapplied to Jesus and his birth with the young woman Mary. 
his birth would signify that God is still indeed among his people. God is still with his people. God has not abandoned his people. But how? How is God still with his people? In what way? If it is not in the sense of incarnation, how else could God be with his people? And what does the person of Jesus have to do with embodying the presence of God with his people? It's important to look at the Gospel of Matthew and the time that the Gospel of Matthew was written and the circumstances around that particular time period. The Gospel of Matthew, according to most scholars, was written after the Jerusalem temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD. The Jews thought that the temple housed the very presence of God within the Holy of Holies. And so after the temple was destroyed, God was no longer there in Jerusalem. And so the question arose among the Jewish people, how do we experience and interact with the presence of God now that we can no longer pilgrimage up to Jerusalem and interact with God at the temple? After the temple was destroyed, the Jews began to shift the location of God's presence from being located inside a temple to being among those who studied the law of Moses. And this can be observed in a passage recorded in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a collection of Jewish teachings and rabbinical teachings that ultimately were codified in the year 200 A.D., 130 years after the destruction of the temple. But many scholars think that the teachings that are collected in the Mishnah go back to teachings of the Jewish rabbis in the first century. In a passage in the Mishnah, it says, If two sit together and the words of the law are spoken between them, the divine presence rests between them. That's in Mishnah Abot, chapter 3 and verse 2. There we see that the Jews taught that when two sit together, when you have at least two sitting together, and that the words of the law, the words of the Torah, are spoken between them, then God's divine presence rests between them. No longer is the divine presence to be found in the Jerusalem temple, because the Jerusalem temple had been destroyed. Now the divine presence is located among those who are gathered together and who are reciting and studying the law of Moses. With no temple, the presence of God was taught in what appears to be commonplace teaching among the rabbis to reside among those gathered together who recite the Torah. And so with this, we can move on to our second point, which is Matthew's response to this Jewish shift in emphasis. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, Jesus says, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. That's Matthew 18 and verse 20. Jesus there says that when two or three are gathered together in his name, as in gathered together in Christian fellowship, Jesus is there in their midst. Matthew has placed within his gospel a teaching of Jesus that speaks to the reality of where Jesus, functioning as the Emmanuel presence of God among his people, resided. Jesus resided in the midst of those who gathered together in his name, that is, within Christian fellowship, not rabbinical Judaic fellowship. This is surely a polemical teaching in light of the rabbinical Judaism suggestion 
that the presence of God resided among those who gathered and studied the law of Moses. For Matthew and his community of believers in Christ, the presence of God embodied in the human agent Jesus was among them rather than among the followers of Judaism after the destruction of the temple. This helps shed light on Matthew's purpose in theology, who appears to depict Jesus as the human embodiment of the temple presence of God, which is probably the most exalted thing one can ever say of a human being. You really can't say anything more exalted of an authentic human being than to say that that human being embodies the temple presence of God. And our final point, point number three, is Matthew's conclusion, the exalted Jesus post-resurrection. In Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, Jesus says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where the resurrected and exalted Jesus appears before the disciples. He tells them that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus has been given this authority. Who gave this authority to Jesus? Well, certainly the Lord God gave this authority to Jesus. Jesus now bears all of the authority, and that would include the teaching authority, the teaching authority that was thought to reside among the Jewish rabbis or was thought to reside among the authority of Moses. All authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus now is the authentic teaching authority for the people of God. And Jesus again states that he is with you always. He is with his followers always, even unto the end of the age. Just as Matthew began his gospel by identifying Jesus as the human embodiment of God's temple presence, he now concludes his gospel by saying the same thing. The resurrected Jesus, to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, will be in the midst of his followers, acting and functioning as the human agent of God's temple presence. And this is all the more interesting in light of the affirmation of early Christians that Jesus has been exalted to heaven and Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. So even though Jesus is physically sitting at God's right hand in heaven, he can extend his presence to be among his disciples. And of course, this is not a teaching that is only found in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of John repeatedly indicates that Jesus is the new temple. And even in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus is currently in the midst of the seven churches, despite the fact that both the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation believe that Jesus has been exalted to heaven and Jesus is actually sitting there. Jesus extends himself as the one to whom all authority on heaven and earth has been given and the one who is acting as the Emmanuel figure, the human being that is embodying God's temple presence. So, in conclusion, we have observed that, number one, Matthew begins his gospel by identifying Jesus as the Emmanuel, a reference to a prophetic word given in the 8th century BCE, where God gave a sign to Isaiah the prophet to prove that he has not abandoned his people in times of crisis. 
the birth of Jesus and the person of Jesus demonstrates that God is still with his people, albeit extended through the agency of the human Messiah. Number two, after the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, the Jewish leaders began to teach that the temple presence of God was now to be experienced among those who gathered to study Torah. Matthew suggests, instead, that Jesus, the Emmanuel human Messiah, was actually among Christian followers gathered in his name. And three, Matthew wraps up his gospel by announcing that all authority has been given to the risen and exalted Jesus. This Jesus promises to be among his followers even until the end of the age. Since Jesus is functioning as the human agent of God's temple presence, being the Emmanuel, this proves that for Matthew and his community, God has not abandoned them. The exalted Jesus is indeed in their midst, acting as a human sign that God is indeed among his people, namely the people of God defined by their loyalty and obedience to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. If you enjoyed the Biblical Unitarian Podcast and you would like to support the work that it is doing, please check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you take care.